we're back to do our top ten movies of the tens. Uh, continuation of last episode, where we're now breaking down number five through one on our list on episode 71 of the podcast. Cue the music. Welcome, everyone. Uh, welcome back, everyone, to the Entertainment Fay Podcast. I am one of your hosts, Brandon Prozac. And I'm your other host, Jessica Quaz. Yeah, Jess, we're, as we said, we're, we're doing a series of our top tens of the tens and uh, continuing our breakdown of our top ten movies of the tens. Uh, uh, we did ten through six, and now we're in the nitty gritty. We're in the top five. So, Jess, would you like to kick us off? With your number five. Yeah, let's just get into it. So my number five is a movie that you've definitely seen if you've gone to film school, and that is The Social Network. (laughs) I like it's like (laughs) if you went to film school. It's mainly because it came out while we were in film school, I think, Jess. (laughs) Yeah, it came out, I think, freshman year of film school, if not like going into it. Yeah, 2010. Earth shattering. It was like, oh my god, can you believe? <laughs> and, A movie about Facebook. Oh my god. And it was like, you know, in the halls and like in the class, just being like, oh, the social network. And like, I studied it for a class. I don't even remember what class it was, but they sh- showed us like parts of it in the class. And it was just like, oh, movie. And to be quite honest, I kind of forgot about it for like, I don't know if I forgot about it. I like respected it. I really liked it. But I think it was just like all the film school talk. Like I forced myself to like repress it and just like forget about it. Um, (laughs) And then, yeah, I was like scarred. So I was like, this is going to go deep, deep, deep down. And then when I was like doing research on like movies of the decade, this of course popped up and I rewatched it. And I've just, like, everything I had felt when I first watched it came back. So it jumped back to, like, my number five choice. Um, It's interesting watching it nowadays, though, like, almost a full decade later. Because there's a lot of issues with, like, our current Facebook and how Zuckerberg is, like, controlling it. And that's super weird. But, like, putting all that aside, it's a genuinely good movie. I think what's, like, really interesting about that is, like, watching it when it first came out in 2010, like, Zuckerberg's not portrayed well. He's actually portrayed as a total asshole, but for some reason, he feels like this, like, rogue hero that, like, eats the rich and, like, shows it to the Winklevoss twins and, like, you know, he's not, like as messed up as we see him in real life. He's not, like, this insidious villain who uses, like, our data for weird shit. Like, he's just, like, some quirky little weirdo. But, like, watching it nowadays, it's like, oh, no, he totally sucks. Like, he really sucks. Like, (laughs) he ripped off a lot of people and was a total asshole. Um, But the movie itself is still amazing. I don't know. I love a good, like, litigation drama. Like, I love, like, a good, like, courtroom moment. And it was interesting because I feel like most, like, I don't know, litigation movies we don't see actually happening in, like, a 
a settlement sort of way. It's, like, usually in a courtroom, so it was really interesting. I like how they jump back between, like, the linear timeline of what happened and the depositions of everyone giving their size. Like, that's really interesting. Um, I also really like heavy dialogue when it, like, has substance and means something. And, of course, it's written by Aaron Sorkin, so it does. Um, it's written by Aaron Sorkin and directed by David Fincher, which is, like, a totally deadly combo. And on top of that, <laughs> Trent Reznor created the score... So, like, the pieces of it are incredible altogether. And then you have the performances. Like, Andrew Garfield's performance as Eduardo is, like, amazing. Like, I don't know if he's ever topped it in the last, like, 10 years. Like, he's incredible. And I that's where, he, like, people... He was kind of put on the map for us was that movie. And after that, I don't know if he's done anything, like, that's lived up to it. Because it's incredible. That scene where he's, like, so furious because they're edging him out. And he just, like walks up to Zuckerberg and, like, lifts his laptop and just smashes it. And, like, it just, it's so powerful. Um, and I think, like, honestly, Jesse Eisenberg, to me, has one of the most, like, punchable faces on the planet. I think he just <laughs> looks like a dweeb, you know? Just like, get out of here. But his casting as Mark Zuckerberg is, like, so spot on. Like, no one else could have played him. Like, it's perfect. I don't know, like... Rewatching it and really like honing in on it with all this time that's passed, it's really held up in my opinion, and it's really a fantastic movie. And in my opinion, it's one of the best character dramas of the decade. And the script is incredible, the way it's shot is beautiful, and it's just I love that like those like heavy stories of people screwing over people. So yeah, number five <laughs> is the Social Network. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, a few things you said right there. One is Aaron Sorkin's writing combined with David Fincher's directing. I mean, like you said, incredible combo. Um, one of my uh, favorite writers ever with one of my favorite directors. Um, this movie almost made my list, too. I was very tempted to put it on there. Um, I also was a little rebuffed at first when I saw it, because, like you said, we were young and in film school, and, like, everyone was talking about it. But it took years to keep watching and keep appreciating, uh, as I kept uh, enjoying more and more Sorkin dialogue. Uh, Jesse Eisenberg uh, is someone who's, like, perfect for that dialogue, because Sorkin's dialogue is very quick and snappy, and, like, there, there's not a lot of breath in it. It's just almost like theatrical, uh, something you'd see in a play with a long-winded monologue. And Jesse Eisenberg is someone who can pull that off so well. I think Army Hammer um, is someone who, like, when I saw him in this movie, I'm like, oh, he's going to be big someday. And he's someone that I feel like still, over this last decade, hasn't been given, like, his props. I don't know if it's because he did like Lone Ranger or like what, but I feel like he's someone that is very underutilized. Um, I think he's someone who could have been a great Batman. Um, I think he's used great here as the Winkovai. Uh. The Winkovai, yes. Who, like, yeah. when, again, when I first saw it, I was like, oh, these like rich assholes who row, they suck. And then I'm like, as I'm watching it, like now, I'm like, Oh, wait, no, it was, like, fully their idea. Like, yes. Last thing I'll say about this movie is this is one of those movies that I feel like it happens almost every year is where one movie's nominated for Best Picture, but I'm like, no one's going to remember this in, in a year, literally by next award ceremony. Uh, so the thing that won in 2010 was The King's Speech. 
Oh my god, I completely <sighs> forgot that movie existed. Yes, I remember because I was <laughs> mad because 2010 was a kick-ass year in the sense that like um, Inception came out, Social Network, even Toy Story 3. I loved The Town, which The Town almost made my list. Oh yeah, uh, The Town is good. Yeah, like so there were so many great movies that I'm like, look, King's Speech... I didn't even see it, but it is clearly Oscar bait. A period oh, piece yeah. based on a true story with uh, high, you know, uh, high octane actors and and a director, and you know, it's just of course, of course, that would be nominated and then eventually win. But how many people have seen Social Network and how many people have seen King's Speech? Right. Just saying. Right, and I've seen both, and I can tell you, I remember thinking this King's Speech was just solidly okay. Like, it was just fine. That's it. It wasn't stunning. It was fine. And this is a movie... It's interesting, like, watching The Social Network now and, like, discussing it now and thinking about it now, my perspective of the movie is so different. Like, I was saying, like, when I was younger, you know, I didn't know anything. And, like, I was young and stupid. And, like, Zuckerberg kind of seemed, like, rogue and cool. But, like, now I look back and it's like, no, he's always been evil and terrible. Um, (laughs) It's funny because we're also using, like, Facebook chat right now to record this. So maybe, like, they're listening in and, like, I'm going to be gone next episode because I've been murdered. But anyway. (laughs) (laughs) What? Yeah. He sucks. Anyway, but, like, it's just interesting that, like, my perspective of the movie back then in 2010 and now is so different. But... They, it holds up. Like, it's still an objectively amazing movie, and it's still one that, like, I, I really, really enjoy. Um, yeah, I'm kind of surprised it got this far up on the list, but the more I thought about it, the more I realized, like, I actually really do like this movie, even though film school might have forced me to feel like that. <laughs> I still really <laughs> like it. <laughs> yeah. Um, I was the same way where, like, the first time I saw it, uh, the ending, I was like, eh, and then I went back and watched it. It's like, oh, no, it's... It's great. Um, yeah. Uh, since I didn't have Steve Jobs on my list, uh, I almost put this on because Sorkin's one of my favorite writers, but uh, it did not make it. Um, but another film that is made by one of my favorite writers um, and a great director also is uh, Django Unchained, made by Quentin Tarantino. Um, what I would argue may be his best movie of the decade. Oh, I I think without a doubt is. Um, I he's only had current uh, yeah well since the decade's ending he's had three movies out in the decade. Uh, Inglorious Bastards was in two thousand nine, so it didn't count. So he's had Django Unchained, uh, The Hateful Eight, and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, um, which we talked about that last episode in our summer movie summer movie review. Um, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood was disappointing for me. I think I've talked about in the podcast before that Hateful Eight was a little disappointing in the sense that it was almost like it was supposed to be a mystery, but a Western with a kick-ass cast and a small place, like a play, and it just wasn't pulled off as well as I had hoped. Um, but the movie that is one of my top, I'd say, two to three, um, I'd have to look back when we did our Tarantino top uh, rankings, but Django is one of my favorite movies he's done. Um, I think the performances he gets out of this movie um, with Leo DiCaprio, who was snubbed at the Oscars, 
um, to Christoph Waltz, and the writing, uh, it has classic Tarantino wit, it has uh, beautiful cinematography, uh, it really kind of makes this big modern, uh, I don't know if I want to say modern, but like, westerns aren't made as much anymore, and I think out of like the modern era of westerns it's one of the best ever um and it's cool because it's a tarantino version of a western um so it doesn't feel like every other western you've ever seen um so it just it has um some flaws of course but it's a movie i've just wanted to keep revisiting i keep noticing things i didn't notice other times uh things i enjoy there's parts that i don't like that i realized later i actually like parts of it it just is a movie that has stuck with me this whole decade and um like i said by one of my favorite writers um probably one of my top 10 directors as well um, I like his writing more than his directing, but like this was his writing was really well done in this, and so yeah, I'd have to say Django Unchained. This is a great choice. So now we're under our top five, Jess. We're or number four. What yeah. what broke your f- top four? So my top four is another movie from this year, actually, and that is Hustlers. Um, I did have it as my favorite summer movie of this year, so I won't talk on it too, too much. Because I realized as I, like, you were talking right now and I was getting ready to talk about Hustlers right now, that that's kind of cheating because we said none of our all-time favorites, but we didn't say favorite summer movies. Anyway, anyway, I won't talk about it too, too much. Um, But I just loved this movie to pieces. I really did. Um... Is just so, it just feels like such a rare diamond in the movies of this decade. Um, like I said in our summer movie review, review, it just has so much heart and soul. And it's in a heist movie, which is incredibly rare. Um, the characters are lovable, but yet totally terrible and very complex, which is interesting to see so many complex female characters in one movie. Um, where they have a lot of dimensions and depth to them. And it's really interesting because, like, you're rooting for them to succeed, but you also know that, like, what they're doing is really bad, so you shouldn't. Um, And it just has a little bit of everything, like comedy, drama, suspense, fun, like, everything. And I don't know, like, last time I talked about this movie, I don't know how much I really, like, expanded on the fact that um, it was written and directed by Lorreen Scafaria, and she had based it on... A article in the cut that was called The Hustlers at Scores, the ex-strippers who stole from mostly rich men and gave it to, well, themselves. And it's really interesting because there's been a lot of movies that have been adapted from articles, but this one was so specific to that article, where like moments in the article are actually taken and shaped into scenes, which is really cool. Like there were things like the the people were actually talking about in the article firsthand accounts that like Lorraine like actually took and like wrote a whole scene for which I think is really rare usually it's just like expanded in, on an idea um so yeah I'll kind of like wrap it up a little bit on this one but I just really enjoyed this movie and there wasn't anything that like really like hit me like it um and honestly Jennifer Lopez is at her absolute best in it, which is crazy, because um, I never had any strong feelings about J-Lo, like, either way <laughs> at all, and then I watched the movie, and I realized I did not respect her enough, like, at all, um, and now I'm like, okay, she's super rad. Um, also, like, complete sidebar. I always, like, 
judged J-Lo because, you know, she did, like, the really cheesy rom-coms, like, the Made in Manhattans and, like, the Wedding Planner or whatever. Like, just, like, always really cheesy, like, rom-coms from, like, the early 2000s. And um, I was actually watching an interview with her recently, and, it, again, it was like, oh, God, I've disrespected her for too long because she was saying um, when her career was taking off, they kind of came to her and they were like, okay, what, what would you like to do? What's a role that you want to do? And she actually said, I want to do rom-coms. And she said the reason for that was because she loved rom-coms and she saw so many white women in it. She never saw women that looked like her as the lead. So she wanted to be a lat- Latina woman in a rom-com. And so I was like, oh God, even all the things I judged you on, you're like so awesome. Like, (laughs) I've had it so wrong. (laughs) But yeah, Hustlers is amazing. Like I can't, I can't stop talking about it. I think everyone should go see it. And yeah, I love it. (laughs) Well, like I said, in our summer movie review and many movies on your list, I need to see it. And I definitely want to, especially because it's a heist movie. Yes. I think you would really, really enjoy it. Uh, yeah, I bet I would, too. Um, so my number four is totally different from that. Um, I don't know if you've seen this. Uh, this was written and directed by Martin, Mc- I believe you said McDonough. Um, it is Seven Psychopaths. I have seen it, but I haven't seen it since it first came out. So now it's been, like, seven years, and that's crazy. Yes. This movie, oof, this movie stuck with me. Um for those who haven't seen it, this is the same writer-director who made Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri. He also made In Bruges. Um, he was a famous Irish playwright who really only got into... Uh, this is was his second of... Currently, he only has those three movies out. Um, he never really directed. He only really directed because he said... In film, you kind of have to. Otherwise, a director could change a script. Whereas, like in theater whatever the playwright writes, like they can't change it unless the playwright gives permission. So like writing is kind of king in theater, whereas uh, film, it's director. Uh, so I thought that was interesting because his directing is actually really good. Um, Seven Psychopaths is uh, a dark comedy with Colin Farrell, uh, Sam Rockwell, Christopher Walken, uh, Woody Harrelson, uh, has a great cast, it's such a ridiculous premise where Colin Farrell is a character uh, named Marty, <laughs> kind of like Martin McDonough, trying to write a movie called Seven Psychopaths. And then as the movie goes on, they encounter seven psychopaths. Um, and you find out who those are. And uh, there's twists, there's turns, there's hilariously dark moments. Uh, it's so unique. There's some parts where it gets really fucking dark. And based on... Uh, I've read some of his short plays and what I've read of his feature plays, too. Like, that's his style. And what I kind of got so inspired by, that when I eventually started writing plays, I wanted to mold after his style, which he's obviously not the first one to do it. But I loved his ability to where one moment he could be putting you at the edge of tears to where you're crying and then moments later, have you hysterically laughing. Uh, And that ability to jump back and forth was something I feel like, even looking at the rest of my list, like I've never seen someone else handle it that way, the way he handles it. And 
while I enjoyed three billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri, I enjoyed in Bruges. Seven Psychopaths, for whatever reason, maybe it's because it's the first film by him I saw, just really struck a chord with me. It felt unique. It felt original. And uh, every time I've watched it, I've found other things. Uh, I think it's really well made. Really, really underrated. And, uh, yeah. Um, another, uh, I just noticed three movies from 2012 that I really loved. That's interesting. That was a really good year for movies, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, who would have thought? Um, so, yeah, that was my number four. All right, so we're in the top three now. Top three. We're getting there. Um, okay, so this is where my emotions really take over, so here you go. And I get A star less. is born again. A star is born again. <laughs> no, I feel like for um, my three and number two are a little bit more subjective and to, like, who I am as an audience member and, like, what really got to me this decade... So don't judge me too harshly, but my number three <laughs> choice is Star Wars Force Awakens. Why would I judge you? <laughs> well, I don't think you would. I think some people listening might. I don't know. I just feel like <clears throat> Star Wars is super interesting because the fan base is so passionate about it, yet they hate the movies usually. So, like, <laughs> yes. you know... Right? So, like, now I feel like when Force Awakens, like, came out, it was, like, amazing, incredible, we were all into it. And now that some time has passed, people are like, well, you know, it's just a regurgitation for your nostalgia, blah, 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 you know what I mean? <clears throat> so, yeah, I think Force Awakens is a good movie. Do I think it leans on nostalgia? Absolutely. But that's what got me. Like, hello. Um... I don't know. I grew up watching Star Wars. I was obsessed with Star Wars as a kid. I had the Millennium Falcon that you would open up and all the characters could walk around. It was, like, toys galore. I had, like, a little, like, stuffed Chewbacca and, like, a little stuffed Ewok. I was, like, fully into the Star Wars lore. And I remember, like, as a kid being so obsessed with Star Wars and then realizing that I would never, ever get to see new Star Wars movies. And then I was, like, devastated. <laughs> like, as a <laughs> child, I, like, mourned the idea that I would never see more Star Wars movies again. And then <clears throat> the prequels came out. And I was like, cool, 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 more Star Wars, great. Then the prequels were trash. And I was like, what is this nonsense? This is ridiculous. And I, again, got, like, deeply sad because I was like, that's not my Star Wars. That's not the Star Wars I know. And so in 2015... Two decades after that? I don't know. I'm not good with math. <laughs> when I was a child, now, fast forward, I'm like a grown woman, and I'm seeing Star Wars in theaters. Oh, my God. It was an event. It was Getting the carded event going in. No, <laughs> <laughs> like, ma'am, are you old enough to go into this movie? Um, <clears throat> I had a really great experience watching it. I got to see it at the Chinese Theater in L.A., which is like iconic theater. Um, but that's not the point. The point is, from the minute it started to the minute it ended, I was an emotional wreck because I was just like, I never thought this would happen. Like, I never thought I would see a new movie with Luke, and well, Luke's not in the first one, never mind, with Leia and Han and C-3PO, and like, the story is continuing, and there's the Millennium Falcon, and like, they're, like all these things I never thought I would get to see, and I got to see it, and it was just such a, like a profound moment in my 
cinema experience, if you will. And I don't know. It was just so exciting. Like, it was just, I've never had so many emotions going into a movie like that. And I don't think I ever will in my lifetime because you just can't. Um, and, you know, now we're getting inundated with Star Wars and it's back. And, like, I am very excited that there's new content. Um, but that was such a big deal for me to be able to sit in a theater and watch it all unfold. And I actually remember, like, when the credits were rolling, I was just sitting there, like, bawling my eyes out out of, like, so many emotions. I was just like, oh, my God. <sighs> I was, like, really losing it. And it got to the point where I was so in my own little world with tears just, like, fucking running down my face that the credits had stopped rolling, the lights on the theater went up, and my friend was like, hey, we gotta go. We're the <laughs> only ones here. And I was just like, oh, what? Like, it just was an experience that I'll just, like I said, I'll never have again in my lifetime. And for me, like, that was why it's at my top three, was because, I don't know, and critiques aside. how hmm? many times did you see it in theaters? I saw it nine times in theaters. <laughs> <laughs> Which completely obliterates the movie I've seen the most in theaters. Uh, nine times? Nine times. And I'm honestly kind of bummed I didn't make it an even ten. <laughs> I'm bummed I only saw it once, to be honest. Um, yeah, nine times. <laughs> yeah. I saw I mean, it three times the opening weekend, if you must know. <laughs> Okay, yeah. I've twice seen, in one day. <laughs> yeah. I saw Endgame twice opening weekend and um, <laughs> another movie I'm going to talk about soon here. Um, yeah, I mean, it's Star Wars. I get it. We, we grew up with it. It was very close to being on my list. It was probably my film of 2015, favorite film of 2015, um, which I'm looking is one of the only years, actually maybe, yeah, one of the only years that didn't get on here. Um, uh... I think, like you said, Star Wars has some fans that are so hardcore in it that they're, they're toxic because they they take it personally when there are things that they don't like about it opposed to just enjoying... Um, I think the Star Wars fandom kind of helped me grow up in the sense that, like, I am such a film fan. Obviously, you and I have film degrees. We love it. We studied it. And... Uh, through seeing these movies come back to life showed me that, like, as a film person, I used to be very, very negative with things, but this... I just enjoy all the things that are so good about it. Because, like, yes, there are flaws, but for the most part, it's an incredible movie. Yes, I agree. It's Star Wars, guys, and we need to stop acting... Like, the original trilogy is absolutely perfection and everything else besides it is garbage because they all have flaws. Yes. <clears throat> so, um, yeah. Yeah. Um, my number three, not related to Star Wars whatsoever, is a movie that came out in 2016, which is my favorite movie that year, and that is The Nice Guys. This is a really good movie. I will yes. say, very good. Written and directed by Shane Black, who um, he did Iron Man 3, he did Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, um, 
this movie has uh, Ryan Gosling and Russell Crowe that are a hilarious duo. I think they handle his uh, comedy uh, well. They have incredible chemistry. Um, It's a fun detective story that goes to zany zany places, but also is a good detective story. I think... Um, the movie works almost in every way for me. There's parts where you think that someone they're supposed to save is going to be saved. They're not. There's parts where it just, like I said, gets really goofy. Other parts where it's serious. Um, other character things that I think are really well handled. Um, one thing I'll just say is there's a small character thing for Ryan Gosling, just like Russell Crowe just kind of makes fun of him, like, what, you can't smell? You don't have the ability to smell? And then they bring that back later as a very tragic thing that happened because he didn't have the ability to smell. And uh, I just think it's handled so well. Uh, I'm usually not someone that's in favor of sequels, but part of me almost wants to see them back together just because they were so good together. And... um, I think Ryan Gosling should have gotten uh, credit because he, even though like everyone loves him because he's, you know, he's good looking and he has great comedic timing and he's, you know, whatever. Uh, I think he's great at being an asshole. And um, yeah, I think the movie is so much fun. Uh, I've enjoyed many, many repeat viewings of it and has great dark comedy, which I'm always a fan of. And I can't stop saying enough good things about the nice guys for my number three. It's a great choice. I want to rewatch it now. <laughs> yeah, it's yes. It's really fun. You really should. <laughs> uh, but that brings us just our final two of the ten. Yes, nearing the end. Okay, so I kind of cheated, and my number two is a tie. Wow. It's kind of weak to do that, but I did it. Wow. Because it's hard to decide between these two. So, my number two of the decade is a tie between Captain Marvel and Wonder Woman. What could be the similar about these movies? <laughs> <laughs> right. Anyway. Um, I mean, it's kind of like Force Awakens, where these movies, it's more about how it made me feel watching it in theaters um, that made these two really stand out for me. Um, I don't know. Like, I, I, I know that this is, like, kind of a trope at this point, and, like, it's ridiculous to say this over and over again, but it's so true. I have been watching superhero movies and action movies my entire life, and I have not really gotten to see a lot of opportunities for women to be the lead in it, for the movie to be about them, for the origin to be about them. And so just watching it in theaters was so special to, like, finally get to see it. Um, Both of them, I don't know, just made me feel inspired and happy and kind of seen and, like, understood and all those, like, mushy-gushy feelings. Um, So a lot of it is just my reactions to them were very strong. Uh, But that aside, both are good movies. Both have amazing visuals and fantastic casting. I think both of the women, like are perfect for those roles. 
Um, but what I really, really, really appreciate about these two movies specifically is that, like, within the last few years, you know, there's been a lot of voices rising and a lot of women saying, and people of color too, and, you know, minorities, everyone's saying, like, we want more representation across the board. We want to see people that look like us as that we can relate to because we've been seeing and relating to white men for so long. It's time to, like, you know, expand it a little bit. Um, but to me, these two movies are not just movies that were, like, thrown at women to, like, get them to shut up about the lack of, like, female superheroes. It wasn't just like, okay, here you go, take it, done. Like, these are good movies that stand on their own and, like, are genuinely good, and it feels like they were actually, like thoughtful and taken care of and not just like well you put it out for the girls and they'll come and see it and then they'll shut up about it like no it was you know like for real because I feel like that's kind of happening too like the latest Charlie's Angels reboot really feels like it was just like that where it's like well it's a bunch of girls and chicks and like a woman directed it and you know, watch it and it's like no that flapped because there's like no substance and like I'm not just gonna watch a movie because women are in it like I want it to be good and so these two were in my opinion and they like met exactly what I wanted and needed and hadn't seen in years and came into it um if I had to like really 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 gun to my head choose between these two I might go with Captain Marvel just because it's a little more unique um the correct answer Yes, thank you. Um, I like that the story of Captain Marvel f- unfolds in a non-linear way, because that's kind of unique for superhero movies. Um, it's not like a direct origin, beginning, middle, end. Like, actually, the whole origin story doesn't really unfold until, like, the middle of the movie, where we find out what exactly happened to her, and that's pretty interesting. Um, and there's also, like, some really fun and witty dialogue, some fun banter, um, and there's a twist in it. Like, there's a really good twist that I didn't see coming. So there's, like, more of a unique factor with Captain Marvel. Um, Wonder Woman, I really, really enjoyed and was just baffled by the first time I saw it in theaters. Um, it is more... It's, like, a definite, like, linear structure. Uh, some of the fight scenes, I think, are fantastic. Um, it's interesting now because, like, looking back at the DC universe they were obviously going for like a very dark and like gritty vibe that came off as like super cheesy in all their movies except for this one I think it actually kind of worked because of like the time period and where it took place and her coming from you know her beautiful planet of like goddesses to like dusty old earth like the dark gritty vibe kind of worked um but that's kind of it. And it's really interesting because the movie only came out, like, two years ago, as did most of, like, the DC Universe movies. And it's really interesting to, like, see in such a short amount of time how bad that, like, that little corner of cinema, like, exploded. Um, but, yeah, I will say, like, Wonder Woman, I don't know, say what you will about it. But, like, again, it was, like, the first one I actually got to, like, relate to and see, like, a superhero. And the profound impact of that is enormous. Like... I don't know, and I started crying a lot in these movies, too, for, like, the same reason as, like, Force Awakens, where it's like, I finally get to see this. Like, I really, 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 really cried in Wonder Woman when um, she's having, like, the No Man's Land battle scene because I've never seen a superhero that's a female, like, push through everything that's in her way and keep going. Like, that, I never got to see that. It was always meant. Um, so, yeah, for very, like, emotional subjective reasons these two are tied for number two 
Well, Jess, I'm really glad that Captain Marvel's your number two and only Captain Marvel. Um, <laughs> I won't, I won't, I won't hate on you or trudge on the movie too much. But I'm sure if you listen to many of our podcasts around the 2017 region, you'll hear me talk about it many times. Uh, I think Wonder Woman has a great message, and the No Man's Land sequence was really well done as a movie. I think it's very average, and I, I really wish that that wasn't the first female superhero movie, mainly because I think the first one could have been so much better um, if we just, you know, if they took their time with it. Because um, personally, I did really enjoy Captain Marvel. Um, like you said, I think there was some more unique storytelling to it. I think there were some twists that you don't see coming. I, yeah, I just, I enjoy um, Brie Larson's performance more than Gal Gadot's. Um, uh, some people say, oh, well, you're just biased to Marvel. It's like, no, I'm just biased because I think Captain Marvel, they took their time with it and it was really well made and there were some parts that I didn't see coming. The CGI was pretty fun, whereas... Uh, Wonder Woman had some sloppy stuff with it. Uh, for every time it had a good thing, it had a few things that were a little uh, lackadaisical that I think were just kind of pushed to the side in the favor of the good message it was doing, which I will never dismiss the message, and I will never dismiss people's feelings for the first time seeing that on screen uh, for you all. I just wish that it was better for you. I wish, I feel like Captain Marvel would have been an incredible first female superhero-led movie uh, to kind of blow things out of the water. Yeah, and I, I totally don't disagree with what you're saying, and I don't disagree about your critiques for Wonder Woman. Um, I do think that there are some weaknesses to it. I don't think the villain is, like, that incredible. But, like, it is the first female superhero. Like, that's why it has such, like, a high rank on my list and such a special place in my heart because I've never experienced anything like that before. So just, I don't know. For the emotional reasons alone, like, that's a big deal for me. Yeah, I get it. So... Number two, Captain Marvel. No, I'm <laughs> totally kidding. No, I get it. I, I well, I guess I don't get it in that sense, but I, I hear you, and uh, I understand your feelings on that. Thank you for accepting it. <laughs> I will. I will argue with that movie just on a movie basis. <laughs> and I, I, I see it, and I get it, and I understand it, and I don't disagree. But again, it's just like. I don't know how to describe it in a way <laughs> that would make sense, but it's like the first. It's like the first. Like it's the first. That's a big deal for me. So, yeah. But I would say, like objectively, Captain Marvel is like definitely a better movie. Yeah. Well, um, it's funny that your number two was a superhero movie because my number two was also a movie based on a comic book. Um, this one was one that I saw three times in theaters, and that okay. is <laughs> Logan. Oof, this is a good one. This one um, obviously was not, you know, the first by any means for certain things, but I think it's just 
a really, really well-made movie, and I think that's why, like, so many people loved The Dark Knight, um, is, like, they focused on making a good movie that just so happened to have comic book characters in it. They weren't focused on it being a big action spectacle. It was a good character piece. James Mangold really reined in just a fantastic story, and it was so poetic because... Hugh Jackman started playing Wolverine and Logan uh, in 2000, and this was his final time uh, playing that character. Uh, so he, in, uh, you know, half a dozen movies, uh, played this character for 17 years. <laughs> That's crazy. And um, I think it was a perfect way to close it out. I think... Uh, Patrick Stewart was great in the movie um, in one of his final times as Professor Xavier. Uh, I think both of them should have been nominated for awards that year. I think Logan should have been nominated. I think the cinematography. Um, I think it was just an incredible movie that happened to have a comic book character in it. And because it had a comic book character in it, I think some people don't put it in the same light as movies that don't have comic book related things which just isn't fair um and you know what is one thing that was a major thing in this de decade comic book movies <laughs> yeah <laughs> it, absolutely every year had anywhere from three to six of them you know uh because there was three different studios doing them there was Marvel Studios with Disney. There was Fox, who owned some Marvel characters. And there was, of course, Warner Brothers with DC. Um, I like to think this is one of the last Fox ones because they had some kind of stinkers at the end. Uh, we talked about Dark Phoenix. Um, and yes, I loved the Deadpool movies. I was very close to just putting both the Deadpool movies tied for my top ten. But I just had to go with Logan because Hugh Jackman... Um, able to pull this off uh, where he doesn't put on a costume he doesn't um, they have great action but they don't do over the top CG it's rated R it's filmed almost like it's a western it is just just top to bottom an incredible incredible movie I agree it's an absolute amazing movie and one of the best of the decade yes so, but Jess, here we are. Our number one movie of the tens. Oh, so epic. It's been ten years in the making. Yeah, real quick. To this moment. Real quick, before the one, do you want to read your, your ten through two again? Yes, that's a good idea. Hold on one second. Okay, here we go. My list. 10, A Star is Born. 9, Pop Star, Never Stop, Never Stopping. <laughs> you, see, anytime I even say it, I chuckle. It's such a good movie. Especially because so those two good. music movies, that you're 10 and 9. It's funny. I know. They're, and they couldn't be more different. Oh, God. Okay. 8, Green Room. 7, Ex Machina. 6, Parasite. 5, The Social Network. 4, Hustlers. 3, Star Wars Force Awakens. Two was a tie between Captain Marvel and Wonder Woman, and my number one movie of the entire decade was drumroll please, uh, Mad Max Fury Road. Ooh. Yes, this movie slaps, yo. 
I like how we're just saying, like, this is an incredible film. This movie slaps, yo. Slaps, yo. And that's all I got to say. But, but, no. It's, it's amazing. It's amazing. It's amazing. It's amazing. It's amazing. Um, oh, God. Where do I even start? I love this movie. I think it's great. Have you seen it, Brandon? Uh, yes. Okay. Okay. Great. Good. 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 So, <laughs> good. Good. Otherwise, yikes. Okay. I mean, to me, the pieces of the entire movie are so incredible. Um, first of all, let's just get into the looks of it. It is beautiful and stunning. And in my opinion, it's probably the most visually unique movie of the entire decade. Can you think of another movie where they're riding around on cars for the entire movie in a desert? I can't. No. <laughs> um, I don't know. I just... I love it. I love it. I love it. Um, I also think the sequences of it are beautiful. The driving and the fighting, they're absolutely insane. Like, just watching it, even... Four years later, I rewatched it for this episode, and I was just, like, watching it, like, how is this even possible that they did this? Like, what's so unbelievable, too, is they didn't really heavily rely on CGI. Like, it said from the editors and director that it was really only maybe, like, 15% CGI, which is absolutely bonkers watching it, because some of these sequences, it's like, how did you do that? And no one died. Like, what? <laughs> It's crazy. Um, for me, I was just sucked in, like, the moment it started. I saw this movie in theaters twice, and both times, like, the minute it started, I was, like, hooked into it. And I just forgot about everything in the world around me except for this movie, which is, I think, like, what makes movies so amazing is when you can completely forget everything and block everything out and just zone in. And what was interesting, too, is, like, Again, watching this movie in the last few weeks, I watched it at home, and usually, like, I have a really bad ADD when I watch movies. I'll, like, pop on my phone, or, like, I'll scroll on social media, I don't need to. This movie, I was, like, watching it at home, and I was zoned in again. Um, I love that there's very minimal dialogue. Like, aside from the John Wick movies, it seems, like, kind of rare in this decade, there seems to have been, like, a lot of, like, really, like, dialogue-heavy movies. So watching it, it just also felt unique. Um, God, this movie's great. <laughs> um, I just can't, like, every time I'm like, what do I want to talk about next? It's all great. It's all great. It's all great. Um, the characters are so interesting. Furiosa is, like, honestly one of the best action characters of all time. Um and Max and Nicholas Holt's character have, like, really cool character development throughout it. Um, I don't know. To me, it's just, like, every piece of this movie is magical and, like, incredible and mind-blowing. And there really wasn't any other movie like it this decade that I can think of. And also, full disclosure, I love this movie so much, I've never seen any of the other Mad Max movies. <laughs> which is interesting. I should get on that. But... Mad Max Fury Road. Oh, it's just so good. Yeah. I, I mean, I honestly think that this film could be, like, rebranded as just Furiosa or, like, Furiosa Road or, I don't know, something because it is clearly, like, her movie, but I, I like they kind of use the Mad Max name brand recognition to be able to tell the story because it really is more so her story than Max's. Um... I 
at first was not a huge fan of the movie. I didn't hate it by any means, but I think the problem is my circumstances seeing it the first time were not good. Um, it was after it got nominated for a ton of awards, so the hype was built. And then I watched it with someone uh, who you've met that I may or not have been legally obligated to be a partner with. Uh, <laughs> who was a total buzzkill, and it was terrible for me to watch the movie with her, and so it tainted that viewing of that movie for the longest time, until uh, last year, I went to see, this was the first time I saw a movie at Music Box Theater on the big screen, on film, and oh my god, it was such a blast. Um, yes. And I was like, this is what everyone was talking about. This is why everyone loves this movie. Like, it's... Um, and many of the things you said, the the characters, the set design, the stunt work is insanity. Um, the fact that they don't use CGI as much, and they do use CGI, but it's in the way it should be used, which is just to hide things and not be... N- wildly noticeable there was never a part where there's just a huge cgi monster like it's all for the most part real and those guys did some of those ridiculous stunts in those ridiculous outfits uh so yeah i totally see why it's in your top 10 and i wish i would have originally seen in theaters yeah, I'm really glad you at least had the experience of seeing it in theaters because it's just so wildly different, and it really does suck that your first time watching it wasn't in theaters, and I can't believe someone actually downed on it. Like, because, I don't know, even if I didn't like certain aspects of it, like, the stunts in it are just, like, enough to, like, keep me fucking going into it. Like, it's just so good. But, like, <laughs> oh, my God. Did I ever tell you about the first time I shot a gun? Did I ever tell you that story? <laughs> no. Okay, so here's a story. This is also why Mad Max might have a very special place in my heart. I don't know. But um, I saw the movie in theaters. Uh, I, I did see it before the hype. Um, so I just kind of went in blindly because two of my friends wanted to see it and the trailer looked cool. So we went in and it just like hit me like a ton of bricks, this movie. Like I was just in awe of it. And I was so in awe of like Charlize Theron and just like how badass she was in these like crazy action sequences, like just got me hyped. So like me and two of my girlfriends, we get out of the theater and we are like running on adrenaline. Like we are like, oh my God, oh my God. Like we have so much adrenaline pumping through our veins from just sitting down for two and a half hours that we're like, we got to do something. We got to do something like, ah, and none of us, none of us had shot a gun before, (laughs) but after Mad Max, somehow I have no idea who suggested it. We were like, let's go to a gun range. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. We were straight up like, yeah, let's do this. Like Furiosa. And we went to a gun range and we shot guns because Mad Max got us so pumped that we, we had to do something crazy. And so we went to a gun range, and that's the first time I shot a gun. <laughs> wow. Mm-hmm. So movies and video games do corrupt people. <laughs> a little bit. You could say that, but I did go to a range, and I was, like, very patient, and the, the guy taught us exactly what we needed to know, and we were, like, in a very safe environment. and like, But, yeah, I had so much adrenaline that we were like, what can we do? Should we trash a car? No, we shouldn't do that, but we should, like, do something crazy because it was just such a big crazy movie like i needed to do something like that and so the three of us just were like let's go shoot guns okay (laughs) 
<laughs> oh my goodness. And the crazy thing is, I'm from Indiana. You would think I would have shot a gun like long before that. Yeah. But no, <laughs> it's Mad Max. You, that did you it. think they wouldn't have let you leave the state without doing that at least once? I know it's crazy. That wasn't even in Indiana. Like what? <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, yeah, Mad Max Fury Road. That's that's a movie. I, I should probably buy that one. I haven't bought that one yet. I bet the um the special features is amazing. Yeah. Like, I would buy it just for that. <laughs> well, Jess, I guess I should uh, bring up my number one then. Um, before I do so, I'll say my top ten again. Uh, my number ten was Prisoners. My number nine was Looper. Number eight was Fifty Fifty. Number seven was Captain America Winter Soldier. Number six was John Wick Chapter 3. Number five was Django Unchained. Number four was Seven Psychopaths. Number three was The Nice Guys. Number two was Logan. And my number one is Inception. Uh, I was doing a drum roll. <laughs> <laughs> my number one is Inception. Iconic. <laughs> what? Um, <laughs> this movie... Uh, I saw right before going to film school and it, it like, it was fun, it, you know, and it was Bane by Christopher Nolan who's one of my favorite directors. Um, and it was hard to like live up to like the hype because it just, that was his first movie after the dark Knight, So like a lot of people's like, what's he going to do next? And it's like, he's doing a heist movie. This is Leo DiCaprio. <laughs> this is going to be crazy. Um, but no, this movie has stuck with me um, because, and it, I, uh, it's not that I ever considered it maybe my top ten of all time, but it's just always a movie I've loved putting on. Um, came out in two thousand ten, like I was saying, and there are just so many things in this movie that work well. Um, Hans Zimmer's score, like, I know it gives a lot of shit for the, 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 you know, like, that's all (laughs) people remember, but, like, if you actually go in, like, there are so many different, uh, songs in that movie that are incredibly scored, um, the cast has Leo DiCaprio, uh, Ellen Page, uh, Tom Hardy, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, Killian Murphy, it uh, is an original story, you know, which, um, as we can see just based on our lists, like, not everything um, can be fallen under the original category when it comes to movies lately. Um, it's another movie that they don't, like, they, they use CGI, but it's not crazy. Um, like, they did build sets for certain sequences, and... Um, I think it tells an emotional story. Um, it's a heist movie. It's unique. It uh, it just it's a movie I love throwing on. It has an ending that had people talking. It's uh, it's I think kind of like seeped into pop pop culture in a way because anytime someone like you know plants an idea, it's just like, oh, did you like Inception me? You know, like it's. it's kind of become like I think a movie that like we were saying like there are movies that win best picture and then people immediately forget about Uh, the King's Speech uh, the artist 
Um, <laughs> oh, yeah. Right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, movies like that, uh, 12 Years a Slave, uh, like so many movies that people just kind of forget about, like they're considered great. But like I think what's a great movie is when it kind of like seeps into pop culture, and I think Inception did that. Um, it's wildly rewatchable. It has action. It has humor. Uh, the direction is great. The score, like I said, I can't say enough about the score. I love just listening to some songs from it. Um, yeah, I think Inception is... I remember, too, one of my first experiences at film school, and I was worried I wasn't going to like it, was... So, at the time, I didn't think it would be one of my favorites of all time or anything. I was just like, that was a fun movie. And that was a movie that came out, like, two months before we started. And I brought it up in class. I was like, I like that movie. And everyone's like, you like that movie? That summer blockbuster movie? Like, I only like foreign films or independent (laughs) films or, like, black and white old movies or, like, da-da-da-da-da. Like, that is just blockbuster garbage. And, like, everyone just, like, made me feel like shit because I said, like, I liked that movie. And I was just like, but, but it's good. Like, have you seen it? Like, <laughs> it's, Aww. you know, I'm like, cause like some blockbusters are dumb, but like that one's not dumb. Like, I think it challenges, it, it asks a lot of different questions. It also deals with like grief and loss and, um, yeah, I think Inception is my favorite movie of the 2010s, it has stuck with me the most. Obviously, it's been on the list out of all of these the longest. Um, but I could throw that in that movie in right now and love watching it. I could throw it in tomorrow and still enjoy it. Um, it's just wildly rewatchable. Good choice. Good choices all around. <laughs> yeah. We did it. So you saw pretty much all of my top ten, right? Besides only a couple? Yeah. Uh, except only John Wick Chapter 3. <laughs> I've seen them all. <laughs> really? Yep. Oh, wow. Yeah, actually. Yeah. And the only reason why I haven't seen that one is because I didn't see two yet. Wow. So, you know. Yeah. And on yours, I still need to see Hustlers. I still need to see Parasite, Green Room. Um, what was your number 10 again? A Star is Born, which you definitely have not seen. Yeah, definitely have not seen. <laughs> um, so, like, half. Like, that's not that like bad. Like, half, but, yeah. Yeah, like, half. But definitely I have more homework than you. Um, yeah, Jess, so that was our top tens of the tens. Well, what would you think were the, that decade of movies? It's interesting. It's a very interesting decade of movies. I feel like the tens is when we really got into like spectacle cinema with like our superheroes and like our Star Wars and like a very like event movies. But there were also a lot of like really good like stripped down movies. Like that's so interesting. Like how Disney like owned us for ten years. But then also we've gotten movies like you know, like, Knives Out right now. Like, Frozen is a number one movie, but Knives Out is number two, and it's incredible. And I think there's been, like, a lot of things like that where big, like, blockbuster Disney movies and then, like, smaller character pieces. So I don't know. It's, like, it's a weird decade for movies, I feel like. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm looking at my list, and let's see. One, two, three, four... I'd say about half, a little over half of them are, like, original, where, like, other ones are either B 
based on something or part of a franchise in some fashion. So one thing that I'm really hoping when we get into the 2020s is we realize that we shouldn't just rely on franchises because um, we've seen a lot of franchises crash and burn. One thing that we have to bring up that became so popular in this decade was cinematic universes. I think... Yeah, to the point where even, like, the Netflix holiday movies are in a cinematic universe. Are they really? Yeah. <laughs> like, they're all connected? Yeah, it, like, not... Well, not all of them. Like, oh, my God. So I'm, like, very much into, like, cheesy Christmas movies. I love them. Oh so I've definitely watched almost all the Netflix original Christmas movies. Um, and, like, what's really funny is, like... Yeah, the last movie, The Night Before Christmas, is, like, there is a direct, like, line that connects to another movie. But what's absolutely bonkers is that (laughs) the last three movies, there have been a character who sits down and watches a Netflix movie in that movie. So, like, (laughs) it's insane. Like, there was, like... The night before Christmas, they're watching a one that just was released, like, a month ago. And she's like, oh, my God, what are you watching? Oh, this movie? That's so weird. And then they, like, pan to the TV, and it's, like, that movie. And, like, so, like, <laughs> they are, but it's, like, in a really bonkers way. <laughs> oh, goodness. Yeah. Um, yeah, well, uh, I, I found it funny, like, someone once said it, that, like, movies were trying to become TV, and TV were trying to become movies, because... Marvel did the cinematic universe, which was like, and it's not exactly like, I don't think they were ever the first ones to do it, but they were the first ones to do it on this scale, um, where it wasn't just like, oh, Star Wars, they're all called Star Wars, and there's like, you know, nine episodes of them. Like, this was like, oh, it's Captain America, it's Thor, it's Iron Man, it's different heroes thrusted all together, um... And so it's like a t- TV show where, like, you may need to watch this one to kind of get what's happening in this one, and you may need to, you may notice this from this one. You don't need to see them all to get it, but then when you get to Infinity War and Endgame, you kind of need to see a good portion of them to understand those, for that, like, that finale of the series. Um, and, like, you were talking about with Wonder Woman, you saw DC kind of go through <laughs> Apache period where they tried to do a cinematic universe and it failed (laughs) yeah and that's not the only one like there was supposed to be that monster universe from universal i was gonna say that yeah yeah, and they like casted all of them made a huge announcement and then like one movie in and they're like oh shit no so like i totally agree like the idea of like movies connecting into each other i think can be exciting for fans but it's like gotten to the point where it's like like Let's not all just, like, push it out and make these grand plans for something we don't even know can work. Right? Because that was the funniest thing about that whole announcement was they were going to start with that movie, The Mummy, with Tom Cruise, but it wasn't even out yet. But they were just like, yeah, and then we're going to have a mummy of Frankenstein, and we're going to have Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. You know, we have all these big A-listers involved. It's going to be a monster universe. And then Mummy tanked, and they're like, woof, this was a bad idea. Whoops. (laughs) You know, and like, yeah, it's like, that's why you literally don't put the the cart before the horse. Like, you need to have, like, the reason why the MCU worked is because Iron Man worked, and then eventually Captain America and Thor worked, and then 
Um, one movie that almost made my list just because of the historical thing behind it was the original Avengers movie. Um, yeah, that I, I thought about doing that too because of the impact it had, but like... Eh. Or <laughs> Infinity didn't. War or Endgame, you know. Those movies, mm-hmm. I think, historically will be remembered, um, but like obviously we picked different ones for quality, um, but those ones are historical. Um, so cinematic universes, I think, was a funny trend. And then with TV shows becoming more and more cinematic, uh, like Game of Thrones and now The Mandalorian, like these shows have crazy high budgets and um, incredible casts and um, feel like movies. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's interesting because that shift started happening before the decade and then it's like really like honed in. I don't know. I think another thing, like, on that note that, like, I think could die down in the next decade is Easter eggs. Like, not the concept <laughs> of Easter eggs in movies. Like, it's a cool, like, it's cool for filmmakers to give a little nod that it's like, oh, you see this? That's from this thing. You see what I'm doing here? You know? But we have become obsessed as audience members with spotting every Easter egg you haven't seen. And, like, every BuzzFeed article that's, like, 75 Easter eggs you missed in the Infinity War trailer. And it's like, okay calm down like it just feels like we're all on a scavenger hunt literally for (laughs) easter eggs and it's like it just is a weird concept like some easter eggs i feel like might not have even been intended as such and people just read into it maybe or like we're all in this weird like i was paying better attention than you i'm the better fan i saw all the easter eggs and it's like that trend i think needs to calm down a little bit that's gotten to be obnoxious and it's just kind of like a weird sort of like I I have the glory of being the better fan because you didn't notice this little side piece that was on the table when Captain America said this so you're not real fan and it's like oh my god that I think needs to calm down but that's kind of like on audiences um and I think one thing that like grew a lot this decade was trailers overshowing movies in two to three minutes. I hate that so much. (laughs) So much. And I feel like that it happened before this decade, but it was like a dime a dozen. And like, it wasn't, I don't know, like it wasn't something that happened so frequently. And now I feel like there were so many movies this year that when I actually watch them, it's like, Oh, well I saw the trailer. So I saw the movie. This is really stupid. Yeah. Uh, I could agree. Um, trailers, um, not uh, trailers giving away everything especially with comedies I think the problem is like comedies have taken a downhill turn mainly because well one I don't think they've been as well made as before Um, they often have to show all the best jokes in the trailer just to get people interested to go see it and then when you go see it you're like well I saw all these funny parts Um, so that's why like really no like full-on comedies made my list like there were definitely some that cracked me up but like often it was these movies like uh seven psychopaths or the nice guys or uh even some marvel movies were like those were extremely funny but i think the regular comedy has really been struggling um, and that, and cause so often it's like, if one is just moderately successful, they do a sequel of it, of course. Um, but for the most part, uh, like, you know, pop star, never stop, never stopping. It's hard to 
do just an original one-off comedy. Um, so that's one thing I also noticed with the decade that I hope turns around. And also because comedy has gotten like so controversially subjective. Um, that's one thing I want to see in the next decade is like comedy movies kind of have a resurgence, some different voices, some different types of comedies. Um, there's kind of a reign where it's like, oh, it was either a comedy movie by either Judd Apatow or Seth Rogen or uh, um, I'm blanking Adam McKay, who then randomly started doing like Oscar dramas. Uh, <laughs> but yeah. Um, yeah, let's give some new people, new voices, and new um, comedies a chance. I agree. One thing that I think I would like to see carried over to the next decade is like this new sort of growth in diversity and in new, fresh ideas and perspectives. I hope that that's not just like a trend. Um, because it's like, you know, of the moment and that's what the people want. Like, I do feel like we hit a happy medium of like everyone gets an opportunity and everyone gets a piece of the pie and like, you know, the pendulum swings perfectly. I think right in the middle where we can all kind of like have our own voices and our own opportunities. I don't know. I just like, again, like going back to like what I said when I talked about like Captain Marvel and Wonder Woman, like I don't want to see like women movies just for the sake of seeing women in it like I want them to be quality as well because I like good movies and so yeah, you don't want Ocean's like, 8 you want Hustlers exactly because <laughs> Ocean's 8 sucks like it was not good and it just felt like oh there's women in it there you go and like that I, I hope that that is no more and we actually like give women voices and not like okay okay I'm gonna go on like a little tangent here but it brought up Charlie's Angels earlier and when it bombed Elizabeth Banks was like it bombed because no one sees female action movies and it's like no no like it bombed because the movie didn't look good and like it basically all the critics and like reviews were like yeah it's just fine so it's like don't put something out and then when it you know what I mean like don't put something out just because it's like a woman thing like put something out that's quality and yeah. good and like one other thing she kind of brought up too was like is she she said something in an article about like people will see like nine Spider-Man movies but they won't see like another Charlie's Angel movie it's like well I'm sorry but like Spider-Man movies have been getting better Far From Home and Spider-Man and the Spider-Verse and Homecoming like they've gotten better Whereas, like, Charlie's Angels was an old TV show and then an early 2000s kind of rompy movie made by Mick G. Uh, so, like, yeah. the franchise was not in a good place. And, like you said, the trailers, I did not see it because, like, oh, another female movie. I don't need that. I saw it because it didn't look worth my money. Make a movie that looks worth my money because when movies cost twelve to fifteen dollars or twenty dollars depending on your theater, I'm sorry, I'm gonna go see Joker. I'm not gonna go see uh, Charlie's Angels. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's what I think is something I want to see carry over. Where there are the voices and there are the the angles and the opportunities, but it's done in a way that like people actually want to see it and is not done just to be done and like get them to shut up, like. I want to see, like, 
people of color and women in all walks of life get opportunities to have like really good movies and it not just be like a trend and then it'd be like oh well charlie's angels bombed so i guess we're not making any more of these women movies like you know what i mean i just want to see it continue to grow jordan peele's get out and us didn't do well just because it was made by a black person they did well because they were incredible movies they looked interesting and they looked original um whereas like charlie's angels just looked like oh yeah of course they'd do another one of those like if it was due just like they did another terminator yeah. movie like of course they would <laughs> oh yeah they did do another terminator movie like very yep, recently and it tanked <laughs> yeah well yeah yes. <laughs> why are they trying still <laughs> That's something I don't want any more of Terminator movies. We can let it stop. Well, Jess, we've, uh, yeah, that is our uh, top ten movies of the tens. Um, Before we move on to one of our next uh, top tens of the tens, uh, where can they find you on the social media? Well, on Twitter... And Instagram, I am at Jess Quaz, J-E-S-S-K-W-A-Z-Z. You can find me on Twitter at The Pros, T-H-E-P-R-O-Z-E, and on Instagram at Brandon Prosek. Um, uh, we have, uh, you can also follow Entertainment Buffet on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, uh, as we have updates not only for this, but also Entertainment Buffet shows coming. Uh, please follow us, like us, share the podcast. Check out our friends of the podcast, uh, Movie Trailer Trash. Check out Shelved Podcast. Give them some some listens and such. Uh, we'd appreciate it, and they would appreciate it. And, uh, yeah, excited to keep talking about more Tens and the Tens. Tens of the Tens. woo <laughs> <laughs>